Lord's grace this morning that allowed me to do that. Um, but church, it's, it's good to be with you. As Mr. Quilla mentioned, we'll continue pat, pat, uh, praying for Pastor James, and Lord willing, he'll heal quick, and um, he'll be back with us. If you would, uh, turn to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. First Corinthians chapter 15, we'll pick up with verse 1. And it's what uh, Paul writes to his uh, beloved brethren in Corinth. He says, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with Scripture, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scripture. And then he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles, and last of all, as one untimely reborn, he appeared also to me. For I am least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me, whether whether then it was I or they, so we preach, so you believed. Let's pray. Father God, I come to you humbly, praying, Lord, that you take me, a weak man, and give me understanding of your word, and I might teach it accurately to your people, Lord. And as they hear your word, Lord, they would be encouraged, that they would grow in their faith, that they would be equipped to go and minister to others as they hear your word. Pray, God, as we go through your word, that you would even give our children ears to hear, that they might grow in their wisdom and knowledge of who you are and what you have done on the cross for your people. Pray, God, that you be with us this hour, which we know you are, for you never leave us or forsake us, and that you're always with us, that you have sealed us with your Holy Spirit. And I pray you be glorified, and we ask this in no other name but the King of kings and the Lord of lords, Jesus Christ. Amen. I did um, come to know just a while ago that I would be doing this today, so I pray that you would uh, bear with me, and if I end up saying incorrect, I know by the Lord's grace I would be corrected, then we will correct it with all you guys, but Lord willing, I will teach correctly today, and y'all will be blessed by what you hear. Um, here we see Paul, he, he, this is one of the letters he writes to the Corinth church, and we know if you look back in the book of Acts and all that, that Paul spent most of his time of any church with Corinth, which is kind of wild when you read through the letters of Corinth because that was a church who had a lot of sin they struggled with. They were a church who, um, who divided over one was following Peter and one was following Paul. And, and they had Paul had to teach them all about marriage and what marriage looked like. Um, we know even they had to publicly, uh, through the letter of Paul, discipline a man out who was sleeping with his stepmom or his mom, however you <laughs> look at that. Um, and they were, you know, holding one gift over another gift and doing things unorderly when it came to speaking in tongues in that day. But Paul here, when he, when he gets to chapter 15, I just covered a little bit of both of the letters that we have in the scripture. But here when he gets to chapter 15, as he does in all the letters that Paul writes throughout the whole letter, he, he, he's going to get back to what's most important. What's most important. And read with me here. He says in, in verse 1, now we will not cover everything I read, but here in verse 1 he says, Now I will remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, which you stand. Now, beloved, I would submit to you, here what is Paul doing? He's getting ready to remind his brethren the gospel. 
And I will submit to you that we as, our, as believers throughout our day must always be reminding ourselves the gospel and also our brothers in the gospel. Some people learn the gospel and for some reason they think there's something more important than that to learn, but there's not. Yes, there's other things in the scripture that is very important to learn, but sometimes people focus so much on other things in the scripture, and most time it's because they don't have a reality of what the gospel teaches, and they're just more in love with certain things they think God teaches in his word other than the gospel. For we know that a lot of people, when they have troubles in life, they don't come to learn the come to want to know about what Christ did on the cross for his people, but it's more how can God get me out of this situation? And they look through texts. To try to figure out how in the world can I get out of this situation that I'm in. Or other times, people, as we, we've had in the past here at Grace Truth, that, you know, we'll be walking through a certain letter of, like, John, because John, James spent a lot of time in John, and certain individuals would be like, you know, well, are we ever going to get out of John? Is there something else we can go to besides this gospel of John? Well, in more time we will, but... but when they were asking them, they're no longer with us, but when they were asking them things, is they wanted to get to, in a legalist type of way, of, of ways to be instructed on how we live. But if we hear the gospel and through time, we will, we will talk about how we're instructed to live, but we know without knowing the gospel first and reminding ourselves of the gospel, if we instruct people how to live without them fully understanding the gospel, what happens? We create a legalist. We create someone who's looking to the instruction giving to the church, not giving to the lost men, and they follow these instructions, and think because they're following these instructions to the T in their mind, somehow or another they're saved. And they make all their assurance on their obedience to the instructions given to the church for their salvation rather than the gospel. So they're always looking for instructions. Instructions. They want to know, be told what to do. Well, you think about that. Isn't that what all religious men who base their, their salvation on works do? They read through the Bible and they want to know what must they be doing? What must they be doing? Isn't that the same thing they ask Jesus? What must we be doing to do the works of God? And what does Jesus say? Believe upon me. They also ask him in another part of the scripture, what must we be doing to do the will of God? And what does he tell them? Believe upon me. That's doing the work of God. That's doing the will of God. Believe upon me. And he says, I will remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you. What I, that I preached to you, he said. He was reminding him, not only am I going to remind you of this gospel, but it is this gospel that I preached to you. We know the gospel is the good news of God and what he has done on behalf of his people. On, on behalf of his elect people whom he chose before the foundation of the world. That we know God in his great love and his great mercy sent his beloved son into the world that he might take on the sins of his people and take the wrath of God on their behalf on the cross, die, be buried in three days, rise again from the grave, and all whom he gives the grace to trust in that will be saved. For Paul tells this Corinthian church in, uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he said, when I come amongst you, all I knew is what? Christ crucified. He says that is the wisdom of God he would go on to teach them. Christ crucified is the wisdom of God. For that is the only way that man can be saved from their sins. The only way. It is through God's word that man can be saved. It's through the gospel that man is saved. There's no other means, beloved. There's no other means. There's no other means by which we can find assurance of our salvation except through what? The gospel. See how we must remind ourselves of this gospel? See why Paul's taking the time to remind these Corinthians of the gospel? Because think about it, people, you know, when Paul walks through the whole speaking in tongues thing, well, we know we have certain denominations in our day that the only way you know that you're saved if you can speak in tongues or you can gibber something out your mouth, whether you understand it or not. That's how you know you have received the Holy Spirit. Matter of fact, I ran into a woman in uh, Walmart the other day, and we was talking the next day. I know she's she's trying to pray with me, and from the little things she was praying, and after talking with her, you could tell that she believed the only way you know you have the Holy Spirit and that you're saved is because you're speaking what? Tongues. 
By which I replied and encouraged this woman, know how we know that people are saved is when they can give an accurately testimony of what Christ did on the cross for his people. Accurately. And we know what Christ did on the cross. He says, this gospel I preached to you is what we must remind ourselves, beloved. Because it's so easy, even as believers, to look to what we are doing for salvation rather than look to Christ. And some of the things we're doing, we should be doing. We should be reading our Bibles every day. We should gather in with the saints every time we get an opportunity. We should call each other on the phone and witness each other. We should get together and study God's Word together. You see what I'm saying? These things are instructions that God has given to us in His Word. Clearly given us to His Word. But we must be careful not to put our hope in these things. But it's very easy to do. It's very easy to go, wow, wow. I sin, but I, God must, I must be of God because I'm preaching. I mean, how many times have you witnessed somebody and you, you try to get in a gospel conversation with them and the only thing they want to talk about is what they're doing? I'm doing this, I'm doing this. It's like, I like to say the list. The list. Which I always reply, well, how good are you doing at that? How good are you doing at that? I mean, because really, if truly, if we're honest with ourselves, even those who are super religious, honest with themselves, would say what? I can always what? Do what? Better. I can always do better. Even as your pastor, I can always be in the Word more. I can always be in prayer more. I can always be what? In fellowship with you guys more, right? Not just here, but on the phone, in person. We can always be doing more, which shows us what? That if we've got to be saved by hard doing, we can't do enough to be saved because even in our own wisdom and our own knowledge, no, we must be doing more. Beloved, Paul's reminding these Christians because he not only does he know they are looking at themselves, but men are what? Creeping in. And every letter written to the church, there's certain men creeping in, creeping in, creeping in. And they come in doing what? They don't come in, you know, teaching right off the reel a false gospel. Why? Because you would see that. I mean, it's obvious Joe Olstein's a false teacher. Right? Joyce Myers. Right? Then when we go out, there's not even a need to what even perk our ears that way. Right? No need. But what about other men? What about men who are dominant in our reform circles? The popular men. Who we focus on and we might listen to them. Why? Because they're using the word elect. Or they're using the word predestination. Or they're using the word chosen before the foundation of the world. And when we come to understand these things and we see the true gospel of the word, it's as I know how easy it is to go listen to them because that's all we know who to listen to. And that's all we know who's been teaching these things. And, but if we continue to listen, we understand that sometimes these men who we hold up as high on a pedestal are really teaching a false gospel. How do we know? Because we listen. If we get past hearing the word elect, we get past the hearing chosen for the foundation of the world, we get to what are they Are they teaching a gospel by works? Are they teaching a, a gospel by faith in Christ alone for salvation? I remind you, brothers, from the gospel I preached to you, which you received. How did they, how do we receive this gospel? What? By grace. By grace and faith. We know what Ephesians 2, 8 says. It says what? For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is a gift from God, not a result of works that no one may boast. So we understand the gospel is preached. Paul says, I preached it to you, and you received this gospel that I preached to you. You received it. How did Paul know they received it? Because they could verbally profess it. That's how you receive it. They could tell you, what the gospel was according to scripture in 1 Corinthians. What Paul's telling them in 1 Corinthians is nothing new that they've heard. Remember, he's reminding them, so he's getting ready to remind them of this gospel. And we receive this gospel by God's grace. 
It isn't that we receive this gospel by our own doing. We know from, a, like, a, for instance, Ephesians 2, that we're, what, dead in our trespasses and sins, following the prince and power of the world. The elect of God were not good people until we received the gospel. We didn't come into this world as being the elect of God, as shining lights. No, we come in this world full of darkness. Dead in our trespasses and sins. Coming in this world with a, with a heart ready to what? Rage war against whom? Christ. We come in this world with what? Venom, with uh, what, what, what would Paul say? Uh, we have venom of apps upon our lips full of curse and bitterness. We come in this world ready to what? Steal, kill, and murder. Who else does that? Satan. So we are what? Following Satan from the get-go. Well, as Satan wanted to be like God, who else wants to be like God prior to God changing our minds and saving us? We do. We do. So it isn't like when we receive this gospel, we're doing it and we're doing it because no one seeks after God. No, not one. No one seeks after God. God the Father what must draw us and open up our blind eyes to see the glory of Christ and what he's done on the cross for his people and therefore give us the gift of faith that we might receive it. Because if God does not grant faith, or grant the gift to believe upon the gospel, will we receive it? No. No. It isn't that, as I stated a few weeks ago when I preached, something like this, that we're, we are not smart in our own doing to understand the things of God. I mean, if we were smart in our own doing to understand the things of God, would we not have understood the things of God the first time we read the Scripture? For many of us, we're stuck in what? Religion, a, a false gospel. We were stuck in a universal gospel. We were stuck in a gospel that teaches we're saved by our own free will. Until God, what? Shows us the truth. We were looking, what? To ourselves for salvation. Up until what? God shows us the truth of the Scripture. But even in the midst of denying God of the scripture and trusting ourselves, God came to us. He came to us how? By the gospel. By the gospel. The same gospel that we might have read, as some of us who might have read the Bible a lot up to God saved us, the same gospel that we read over and over and over again that has some different type of idea about it other than what it truly meant. But in God's timing, He takes bad, bad people and He saves them through His gospel. Notice how I said that. Bad, bad people. God doesn't save good people. And we know we're not good. Why? Because he shows us through the gospel our what? Sinfulness. He saw, shows us how we are what? Lawbreakers. And we realize there's what? Nothing good in us. We understand there's nothing we have to offer to God that would cause him to react and save us. That God gives us grace in what we do. We believe. And this grace is not given to all men. For if grace was given to all men, then everyone on the planet would be my brothers and sisters in Christ. If everyone was received grace, Afghanistan and what's going on there right now would not be taking place. There would not be Buddhism. There wouldn't be uh, Muslims. There wouldn't be different denominations proclaiming certain things about the gospel. There'd be what one. We'd all be one in Christ. The whole world would be one in Christ if everybody received the grace of God. God's grace is given to his elect people on his timing. On his timing, beloved. God has a time in his own planning that he will save us. Sometimes he saves his people like John the Baptist in his mother's womb. 
And other times he saves a man like on a thief on the cross at the end of his life. We do not know the time or place that God will save his people, but we do know one thing, what? That he saved them on the cross. On his timing, he will regenerate them and give them the grace to see that. He will give them the grace to see. Why do we go out and preach and teach the word? Because we know that God will save his people. He's already promised it. We see it at the end when, when, when God gives John a picture, a picture uh, and revelations of what it will be like in the end. What do you say? There are people from every nation, every tribe, and every language worshiping the lamb that was slain. Why do foreign missionaries go into countries where people do not understand the gospel because they know God will save his people? And his people will have all what? Different types of languages. We receive this word by God's grace. We know all did not receive it. For we know Jesus even came to his own people and they didn't receive it. But all who did receive it by his grace, what? He welcomed them and adopted them as what? His children. They were not born of the flesh, but they were what? Born by the will of God. He says, I remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand. So we receive this gospel by God's grace as soon as we hear it or we read it by faith or by his grace through faith. And then by his grace through faith, we continue standing in that gospel. Standing in. And as we stand in that gospel, beloved, all different type of ways which man teaches to be saved will flood our minds, will come into our ears. But by God's grace, as we stay in the word and we stay in fellowship, we will remain standing. We are standing on the solid rock, which is Christ. When the storms come against us in life, we will remain standing. We will not be swept away by the heirs of man. We will not. And even if we, for a moment in time, we know God is faithful to finish the good work He started in us. So even when at times I might fall for a short season and or, or a short period of a thought and thinking it's something I'm doing, God floods us with his word that we might remain standing on the truth of the gospel. But in this standing on this truth of this gospel is our assurance in the gospel. I know I mentioned that earlier, but it is our assurance in the gospel. Because as believers, it's what I, what I have seen in the believers, when we're doing really good, we think, and we're not as sinning as much, and we might have witnessed the ten people that day, and we might have read the Bible for two hours and prayed for five hours, we go, I'm saved. I mean, I had a great day. I had a great day. But then when all heck break loose in our, our lives and we get mad at our wife and we, we chew her out and we get mad at our youngest and we're a little bit more aggressive with them than what we should have and, or we get mad at the boss and we might let a few words uh, fly his way because we couldn't stand him that day or our co-worker and we go home and we beat ourselves up. There's no way I can be saved over the things i just done. See, that one minute we're looking at the good that we do to determine our salvation, and then when we do bad, we're looking at the bad we do to determine that we're not saved. All that is is us. We're looking at us. There's no assurance in you, beloved. You will never find 
true biblical assurance in you. So if you're standing on you, you will perish. But if you're standing on Christ, the solid rock, you will not perish. He is our assurance. He is our assurance. In the same way with the brethren. When my brother sins and I go to him to correct him in gentleness, I shouldn't judge him whether he's saved or not by the sin that he committed. Whether he cheats on his wife or, or he, he gets fired for cussing his bosses out or something like that, I, I don't judge him. Well, he must be lost because he did this. But so often we do that like we're not doing anything wrong. It's like we're, we got still at times got a, a log in our eye. And we've yet to move the log that we might what, take the splinters out of our brother's eye. When really is we should be locked arms taking the splinters out of each other's eyes that we might what continue standing on the gospel. That we might not give no leadway to the flesh to look to anything else for assurance of our salvation except Christ alone. So, beloved, I ask you, when you think about your salvation, by whom are you looking to? Pray it is Christ and Christ alone. He says, if you hold fast, in 1 Corinthians 15, 2, he says, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless, unless you believe in vain. So we are being, we are being, so he says, um, I might jump ahead. Yeah, I jumped ahead. I apologize for that. He says, what you received, what you stand, by which you're being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believe in vain. So we see that this gospel we heard, we're being saved. And because we're being saved, we are holding fast to this word Paul preached to us. So we know by the means of which God saves his people is through the hearing of the gospel which we are covered. And it's in time that he saves his people. When did God choose? God chose to save us before the foundation of the world. But it's in time that he regenerates us, that he, he causes us to be born again, that we might believe in the truth of the gospel. And, and we know that, that faith comes through hearing and hearing the words of Christ. That we, we're saved through hearing that gospel, which we cover. And we are holding fast to this word by trusting in what Christ did on the cross. Which what Paul preached to them. Which we not only had the preaching and teaching of Paul, but we had the teaching of all the Bible, which points to who? Christ. That we can look anywhere in Scripture and be encouraged to what? Look to Christ. That's the importance of being in the Word, that through the Word and reading the Word, our minds stay renewed, that we're always holding fast to Christ, holding tight to Him. That's the only source that we have, hope that we have before God. There's no other source by which we can have hope. None. If you hold fast to the Word I preach to you, Unless you believe in vain. That's an excellent. Unless you believe in vain. So Paul's bringing this instance that there might be some among them who heard the gospel, who could say the gospel by their lips, but may have what? Believed in vain. One thing we must already clear up, this is not teaching that man can lose his salvation. But we know those whom Christ saved and purchased on the cross will be saved. And we know all whom the Father draws will come to Him, Christ, and He will what lose none of them. And we know all who come to Him, He has gone to what prepare a place for them that He might return and gather them in. So what do we do when it says you must believe in vain? That must be that there are some who can come into the Corinth church, just like they come into Galatians, say the right, maybe mimic the right gospel out of their lips, not a false gospel, 
Because once again, we take a man by the true gospel, whether he's in Christ or not. But at their time, what happens? They fall away. They do as John said they did. They left us because they were never of us. I mentioned that in uh, Seeds of the Sower. In the last summer I preached a, a week or two ago, you know, we look at the seeds of the sower that Jesus talks about how we go out and we preach the word of God and it falls on different hearts and two of the hearts or two of the grounds that it fell on, what happened? They rejoiced. They rejoiced. Not over a false gospel they heard, but over a true gospel that they heard. Jesus isn't saying that people is going in that, in that parable saying that people is going out preaching a false gospel and people are rejoicing over a false gospel. No, he's talking about his gospel going forth and men rejoicing over it. But what happens? Because of persecution of the word or the love of the world, what happens? The life is sucked out of them showing what? They were never of Christ to begin with. That they came to trust in Christ, but through other ways, whether someone's coming up talking to them or being persecuted for the truth that they hold to, they what? Fall away. We know that even happened in Jesus' day. That what many believed in his name, but being in fear of being kicked out of the synagogue, what did they do? They denied him. They could clearly see who he was, but the persecution of, of, of maybe not being able to buy and sell anymore and their family going poor or their mom and daddy want nothing to do with them, they what cannot handle that. And what do they do? They fall away from this truth after seeing it. They're blown away by seeing this truth. They cannot believe this truth they are seeing. They've been stuck in this religious do this and don't do this for so long. I mean, think about Jesus' people. They had, to, they had to do all type of religious things they had to do in his day to affirm their salvation. And then they see, finally see the Messiah and what he is doing and going to do for his people. And they hear his teaching. They know he must be from God. He's got to be God in the flesh. He is the one who's going to die. He is the one who's going to save us. He is the Messiah. He is the Christ. And then they get swept away because they cannot handle the pressure of believing the truth and everything that comes along with it. So what's going to happen with those who you love the most dearly want nothing to do with you because you believe the truth? It's hard. But Jesus says, I didn't come to bring peace, but I what? came to bring a sword that he might divide truth from error. That one person, a father might turn against his son and a son against his father or a mother against a daughter-in-law or a daughter-in-law against a mother and cause what? Strife. The, the gospel causes hardships at times. And men fall away. Or men can be so in love with the things of the world that they hear the gospel and God shows them how they're in love with the world and not in love with Him and His truth. And they, and they trust in Him. And next thing you know, they get swept away by the pursuit of money or the pursuit of power. And they what? Fall away from the truth. Them things become not important to them anymore. They, or, they, or they catch this... Young lady that looks good through their eyes and that sweeps them away from the truth. Or a woman catches this young man or this man of her own age that may be doing the things that her husband is doing and what she swept away from the truth. That we know through scripture people will fall away. Only those who endure to the end will be saved. But if we endure to the end, if we endure to the end, how we're enduring? By God's grace. Once again, I can't give a pat on my back and say, well, they fell away because of their own, you know, because they weren't wise enough to stay. No, beloved, if we stay believing in the truth while others fall away, we only stay by God's grace. Remember what Jesus looked at Peter and the 
the 11 disciples. We know one of them was the devil. And after all the people walked away from him in John 6, he looks at these 12 and he says, will you lead me too? Peter goes, where else we have to go, Lord? You give the words eternal life. And what, is, what does Jesus do with Peter right now? Did, he not, or did I not choose you, the 12? The same way when I talk, you know, when they say, who do the people say that I am? And he's, he says, you're the Christ. He said, blessed are you, uh, son of our John of flesh and blood is not religious, but my Father in heaven. What is he, what is he reminding Peter in those two instances? It's me, Peter. It's me and my grace towards you that calls you to stay and to believe these things. It's God's grace that rescued Peter even after what? He denied him three times. I mean, he, Jesus could have left John the Baptist doubting why he was in the prison cell. But he didn't do it. Why? Because he loved John. Just like he loves his people who, who trusted him today, which is us, beloved. We trust in what Christ said on the cross. He loves us. He is faithful to us that he will not lose us. We have not believed in vain unless we're looking to something else for the reason of the hope that we have. If you hold fast the word I preached to you, unless you believe in vain, for I delivered to you as first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins with accordance to Scripture. Notice here, he says, for I deliver you as first importance. First importance. Take this from the view of evangelism. Sometimes in evangelism, especially when you look at bright minds that go out of evangelism. It's all about, they want to argue over science and, you know, show men that science is, you know, you can't trust in being an atheist and, and uh, the things that atheists believe in and every revolution and all that. They want to get all them and catch them in a trap and they're wording and everything. But beloved, even if I win that argument showing them that we don't come from monkeys or fish out of the water or little cells and debris, would that save them? No. So really, I just spent an hour dialoguing with these people with stuff that will not save them. But sometimes we want to know how to make them arguments, don't we? Why? That we might be wise in our own minds. And go tell our brother, I had an argument with this guy, you know, and man, I, I really slammed him. And a lot of times I see these men, they'll give these arguments online, you know, out in public, they'll give these arguments online. At the very end of it, I reckon to make themselves feel like they gave the gospel. Go repent, trust in Jesus. Well, man, that can be taken all kind of different ways in our day. Give nothing about the death of Christ and what He did. Nothing about who He was in the flesh, meaning God. Nothing about His death. Nothing about His resurrection. Nothing about Him being right next to the next to the Father. Nothing about Him reigning before He even came to earth. Nothing about them things. It's just repent, trust in Christ. As of them are the means by which God's going to save his people. When in our day, that can mean all kinds of different things. A lot of people in our day, when they preach repentance, what do they teach? You must quit sinning. Until you quit sinning, you haven't repented. But repentance is a change of mind. I go from looking to Jesse and what Jesse's doing for salvation to looking at what Christ has done for salvation. That's biblical repentance, beloved. For stop sinning is the way to be saved then none of us in here are saved. But none of us have stopped sinning. Should we sin? No, we shouldn't sin. We should walk in the truth of God's Word. We have given tons of instruction in the New Testament of how we should walk by faith. Ton. And we should obey the instructions by faith in what Christ did on the cross for us. But none of us are ever going to be perfect in them. I know you husbands, you ain't perfect in loving your wife like Christ loved church yet. And you wives, you ain't perfect in submitting to the, your husband as you should be submitting to the Lord. So I know we all still sin. <laughs> See? I might be doing good this week. Yeah, give it, give it more. Give it more. Old devil creep right in there. What am I getting at here, beloved? 
Paul says first important. Remember what, remember what he said when I quoted earlier uh, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 2, 2? When I came to you, all I knew was what? Christ crucified. In evangelism, the only thing that matters in evangelism is that you give the gospel. That's what matters. I can talk about all, I can talk about a lot of people, you know, they love to talk about end times. They might want to talk, uh, talk about Genesis and some of the things there. Or they want to talk about, can you, you know, a lot of unbelievers want to talk about what you can and can't do. But they want to know, well, what can I, what, what can I do that's not sin against God? But what's most important? What is going to save them? How does God save his people? Faith comes through hearing and hearing the words of God. How can they hear unless someone preaches them, teaches them, preaches to them? They can't. And we don't know who the elect of God are that are yet to be born again. So what do we do? We preach the gospel to all people. Knowing that God will save. And sometimes it can be the less expected one God's going to save. Leave you like, wow, I didn't, I didn't see that one coming. Which shows what? They're not truly believing God saving sinners. I mean, a lot of people will not give the gospel to pedophiles because they don't think God should save them. That's a tough one, right? Or murderers. But has God not come to save sinners? Yes. And beloved, if we could take our minds and put them on a, a picture up here that all the things we thought about in the last four months, we'd all probably be exiting out the building right now because we don't want nobody to know who we are. Just the things we thought about. And that's as the children of God. Much less not be that we, when we go out and witness the people, if we're going to take the time, we must give and focus on the gospel. And yes, if they got questions about other things, but we must always steer it back to the gospel. I remember one time, the Lord's grace, I was at Georgia Southern campus witnessing this man, and the only thing he would kept. Let's talk about this. Let's talk about he wanted to get all to do with science and all that, and I'm not as I don't know nothing about science. So what I do? I just kept giving you the gospel over and over and over again. I know you already told me that, yeah, but that's the only thing that's gonna save you. So I just keep giving you gospel. Why? Because that's the only thing that's gonna save you. Eventually he got sick of me and he walked away. But he left what? Hearing the gospel over and over and over again. And who knows? Someone else can come up. I might have planted the seed or been watering the seed, and someone else might come up and uh, water it again, but it doesn't matter who plants the water. Why? Because God gives the increase. And another thing we must realize is that people do not come to understand the gospel. When we give it to them, we have not failed. Because I know a lot of times when I first, God saved me, I'd be, of course we should be broken over those not believing, but if we give the gospel, we shouldn't be broken over thinking that we didn't do something right. Because a lot of times through blood, I mean through sweat and tears, you pour your heart out to people. And when I mean pour them out, I mean pour out the gospel upon them and show them the gospel. And you're thinking, what else did I not do? How could they have not seen that? I've had this conversation, or you might say I've had this conversation with my mom or my dad or my brother or a best friend many, many times. And you're so broken, what else can I do? Beloved, there's, there's nothing else to do but continue giving the gospel to them. Praying, trusting that God is going to save them on His timing. But only the gospel first importance that we must be giving to the unbeliever, even as the, a believer, the gospel still must remain first importance in every area of our life. Every area. As I said earlier, I mentioned that we should always be reminding ourselves what? The gospel. 
If I'm always reminding myself the gospel when my wife irritates me, I might be quiet. And not what? Lash back out. And her vice versa. If I'm always reminding myself of the gospel and putting the gospel foremost in front of my life, I might be more patient maybe with my co-workers. Because we might have that one co-worker that gets on our nerves. But man, think about how patient God is with us. That we must continue putting the gospel first. That I might strive to love my wife as Christ left the church if I'm what? Putting the gospel first. I might focus on teaching my kids the gospel if I put the gospel first. I might be a witness at work if I'm always what? Putting the gospel first. If I'm putting the gospel first, my assurance will always remain on Christ and what He done on the cross. Always. We put the gospel first when we sin. There's no doubt who we look to. Or when we're fearful, there's no doubt who we look to. Or when we lose things or lose people in this life, there's no doubt who we look to. We got to think as believers, we will struggle and we'll go through many things in this life. But if we're putting the gospel first, we can find peace in the midst of what? Misery. That we know from Jeremiah that God's mercies are new every day. But how are they new every day, beloved? Because by his grace, we are what? Putting the word of God and the gospel first. And what most people don't realize when they quote that, there was chaos and death and misery all around Jeremiah when he quoted that. That Israel was being destroyed for their sin against God. And he was being persecuted not only by the people coming in and destroyed, but he was even being persecuted by his own people. Which has been a very easy way, what, to tie my hands together and say, ah, I want nothing to do with this anymore. I mean, think about Jeremiah. He could have just, he could have just walked away from it or joined the side of the false prophets and started proclaiming error in them that he might be, what, loved by his people. But he didn't by God's grace. Why? Because he kept God as first importance. He kept the gospel and the word of God as first importance. Paul says, I delivered you as first importance, reminding them when I came to you, I gave you what was most important. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scripture. Notice there, our sins. Now a lot of times when people read the Bible and they see our here, what do they do? They say our means everybody in the whole world. Right? It's very easy to do. You have other places in the scripture when you see our, you know, all through scripture talk about Jesus dying, but in parts of the letters like this, you see where's ours sins. The our here, beloved, isn't talking about the whole world because this letter isn't written to the whole world. It's written to the Corinth church is written to the people of God. Right? That is the context here. So when I see our here, I can't even quote this to a lost person without explaining the context behind it. Our sins. Meaning who? Those who are believing. And who? how do those who believe by God's grace that they are the elect of God? We must go through and teach them what? That Jesus died for his people. And that would be an offense to most people in our day. When you talk about Jesus on laying down his life for sheep and not goats, it will offend them. Because most people grow up in our circles believing what? That Jesus died for everybody. That Jesus purchased everybody. And when you tell them otherwise, you're calling their pastors liars, and no one wants to know that their pastors are lying to them. Or you might call grandma a liar. Or grandpa. Or my brother. Or my sister. Or my dad and mom. 
Meaning when I say call them liar, you're not saying you're a liar. But what I'm saying when you teach them whom Jesus really died, and they're teaching that he died for someone else other than a sheep, what are you doing? You're teaching them that what they believe and have always believed is false. And beloved, we must understand this thing as the elders of grace truth. We hold fast to that Jesus only died for his people and those who deny that truth, we do not consider them in the faith with us. We will continue witnessing them. We continue uh, ministering them. We will love them. But we will not call them our brothers and sisters in Christ. Why? Because the scripture is clear. Jesus laid down his life for his people. Remember what Joseph was told by the angel before Mary, or while Mary was pregnant with Christ? He says what? He will come and he will call him Emmanuel, God with us. He will save his people. And that's hard. Because they even call us. Look past at our past religious life. And beloved, I tell you, I grew up believing them things and I was lost during that time. Because I didn't believe the truth according to God. And when people don't believe it, it isn't that they're calling us liars, though they are, they're calling God a liar. Matter of fact, when I think it's in 1 Timothy, when Paul talks about taking the Lord's name in vain, he's not talking about it taking it in a cursing way, but promoting a false God is to take God, or to call God who God is and to teach God something different than what he is. You're taking him in vain. So when we see our sins here, meaning those whom he's writing to, he's talking about whom? The church. But then you might say, well, what about. What about First uh, John, where it says what? That he is propitiation for our sins, meaning those he's writing to, and the whole world. Well, how do we answer that? It says the whole world. Yes, God has saved those whom he's, who what he's writing to, and God has elect throughout the whole world. Who what? He has purchased. If Jesus purchased a people then them people will be saved and no one else. At times we might not like that. But beloved, it isn't about us always liking things that we hear come out about us, about what believing in and standing on it. That we stand that God chose his people at the foundation world and them alone did Christ purchase on the cross. Because if Christ purchased everybody on the cross, then most will go to hell, then he failed miserably in his work. Miserably. Now, there will be, as promise given to Abraham, there will be sand of the seashore in heaven. There will be stars, I mean, stars of the heavens of the count of people that will be in heaven. We know John says multitudes upon multitudes of people worship the Lamb that was slain. But we know out of that, there's still more than that that will suffer the judgment of God. That God has what? Prepared, uh, much patience has prepared them for what? A vessel of destruction. But of you, beloved, He has given you grace. He has given you mercy. He has brought you to the understanding of whom Christ truly, truly purchased on the cross. And beloved, in our day, that would probably be one of the biggest defenses that we will have to fight. Not by swords or fists, but by proclaiming the truth of God. We will fight that by proclaiming the truth of God and being patient as we proclaim the truth of God. Being loving as we proclaim the truth of God. Being kind as we proclaim this truth. Why? And perhaps that God might lead or grant repentance to those who do not believe such. Notice it. Who grants them? God would grant them repentance at least to a knowledge of the truth. The same way while we were stuck in error, God granted us repentance that leads not of the truth. So we know God can do it. We think about Paul. Paul thought he, when he was Saul, he was zealous. He was zealous and thought he was very zealous. He looked like, man, this is in, in his in his peers' eyes, he was a man of God. He, he was named after the first king. Of Israel, he was the Hebrews of Hebrews. He was zealous in doing the work of God. 
And he thought he was doing the work of God by going to lock up Christians, not so that he might feed them, but so he could kill them. We know that the, the, um, the coattails were laid at Paul's feet when Stephen died. He was about to rise up in, in his appears' eyes and be the man if he could just get more put to death. That they were defaming God, he thought. And what happened? He had his mind set, I'm going to get these guys. And Jesus saves him on the road to the road of the masters. Saves him. Showed him the truth. And there's more violent people in our day, beloved, who are mostly religious people like Paul. Who will persecute you, who will hate you, will spread rumors about you, maybe text people in the church about you. But if we believe in such truth as the real gospel, Jesus purchased his people alone on the cross. Jesus loved his people alone on the cross when he purchased them. And we know what? That's a true testimony about who Christ died for. He purchased his sheep. Jesus said we should pray for our enemies. Who were mostly what? Religious people. I mean, who was Jesus' biggest religious people? I mean, his enemy, my bad, the religious people. It was the, the Judaizers, or not, but the Pharisees and Sadducees who, who had the, the, the knowledge about God and was able to teach the Word of God. They were the ones that wanted him to die. And think about Paul and Paul's ministry. He'd get off the boat or walk, and what did he do? The first place he would go was to the synagogues. I'm like, why would you go there, Paul? You know they're going to hate you the most. Why? Because he had a love. For his brethren according to the flesh. And that he desired what? That God would even what? Take his own salvation and give it to them. That's love. But what he do? He'd go preach to them. And as God gave ears to hear. They would hear. And they would believe. That Christ not only came to save Jews. But he came to save Gentiles. But in doing that they knew he came to save his sheep. Which are water of all different types of people. So, beloved, when it says our sins, it's talking about those believing and will believe. But not only was he, not only did he, he, he die, you know, Christ died, but Christ was buried. He was buried. We know a rich man and, and even Nicodemus. A lot of people don't catch this, but even Nicodemus, the teacher of all of Israel, who did not understand what born again was, he even took part. In the what? Burial of Jesus. Would, would what? Make him unclean. And he wouldn't be able to take part in, in, uh, in the... Um, I already lost my train. In his duties, I forget what you call it. Sorry. <laughs> but he, he would be considered unclean. He wouldn't be able to take part in that. Which, in my mind, shows that what? He had what been born again by me. Willing to suffer... His statue before his people or, or his, his relationship with his people, knowing they would probably persecute him and kill him too. He was willing to do that. Why? Because he truly come to see that Christ was the Messiah by the grace of God. But we know he was buried. And when he was buried, we know Pontius Pilate gave the order that what? That he would put guards. Why? Because even they remembered. Listen, this is in Matthew, they remembered. Uh, in Matthew 27, they remembered Christ saying that he would rise again in three days. The lost men remembered Christ saying that. But they didn't believe it. They didn't believe it. And even Jesus would tell them what? When he asked for a sign, he said, well, I'll give you the sign of uh, Jonah. As Jonah was in the... Uh, was. Three days and three nights in the belly of the huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So he was buried according to Scripture. All through Scripture, the Old Testament, New Testament, we see pictures and signs like Jonah and the fish of Jesus, what? The Son of Man being buried and what? Coming out of the grave. And when he came out of the grave, we know what? That he appeared. He was raised on the Third day in accordance to scripture that he appeared. I lost my spot. 
He appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as Paul would say, he appeared as one of the born to me. So you know, after Jesus died and was buried for three days, what happened? He rose again from the grave. That is part of the gospel. Jesus rising again is part of the gospel. If he does not rise again, then we have no hope. Isn't what Paul, after this, teaches, goes in and talks about Jesus' resurrection? Well, because that's where our hope lies. If Christ rose again from the grave, we too will rise again from the grave. And he must have rose from the grave and appeared to them in a physical body to show that he had risen physically. That was the purpose. I mean, go think about it. Was there any need for Christ to eat fish? To sustain his life after he died and rose again? No. The purpose of him eating fish was to show that his disciples that he wasn't, what, a ghost or a spirit. That it was really him in the body. Same thing with, uh, you know, uh, Thomas, put your, put your fingers right here, Thomas. It's me. I'm not a ghost. I'm not a spirit. I'm not one of the dead prophets. It's me, the Christ. When he appeared to Mary on the, on the road to uh, Maus, he appeared to Peter and the other man. And then Peter went and reported back to the 11 apostles that Christ is risen from the grave. We know Jesus appeared to the 12, as I mentioned with Thomas. He appeared to all of them, not just Thomas. appeared to them then. There was multiple times that Christ would appear. We know for 40 days he appeared to all his apostles. He appeared to some of the women that followed him. He appeared to over, what, 500 believers giving testimony that he is the Christ, that he is God. Because without him rising again, he's just another prophet. I mean, think about other religions. Muhammad didn't rise again. Buddha didn't rise again. The, the, um, the Mormon guy, he didn't, he didn't rise again. Who rose again? The God of heaven. The God who created all things. The God who came as man and laid down his life for his people and was buried according to scripture. And was what? Raised on the third day according to scripture. Who appeared to all different types of his people, apostles, disciples. Appeared to all of them showing what? That he is who he said he is. Remember Jesus said I had the power to lay down my life and I had the power to raise my life. Who has that power unless they be God? You can't kill yourself and bring yourself back alive. If you can, I won't see it. <laughs> can't do it. There's no one in history ever been able to take their own life and resurrect themselves back alive. No one. None of the, even, none of the, even the prophets that God used of old could do it. We know Elijah was what took it up, I believe, in a whirlwind. There's some way or another God took Enoch. But everyone else is what? Died. And Christ died. But he rose again. And as Christ rose again, beloved, we too will rise again. As Paul was saying, the last horn and the twinkling of an eye that we what? Our, our, our bodies will turn into what? New bodies. It'll be a new heaven, a new earth, and then we will worship God in person, face to face, for what? All of eternity. That He has went and prepared a room, enough room, for all of His people. And that He will not return until He has, what? Saved all of His people, caused all of His people to be born again. That not only did they seem beloved, but one day we will see Him too. And we don't have to fear seeing Christ. Why? Because perfect love casts out all fear. And while yet we did not love him, he loved us first and gave up Christ. Christ gave up himself for us. So we don't have to fear death. As Paul was saying, to live as Christ and to die as what? Gain. Gain. Think about that. A lot of us think we have a lot of gain left to be done on this earth, or we have a lot of gain now. 
all of that's perishable material. Perishable things. But we remain with Christ forever. That will last forever. That is gain to be with Christ. And we look, we should look forward to being with Christ. And we know that is gain for us who have what? Trusted in the gospel. For those who have not trusted in the gospel, they too will be resurrected. But not under life, but under death. That they will be what? Tossed in an hour of darkness into a, what, a, a fiery hell for all of eternity with all the fallen angels. Not in spirit, but what? In body. But for those whom Christ pursued, for those whom God gives eyes to see, truly what Christ did on the cross for his people will be saved for all of eternity. That is God pouring out his love for his beloved people. That God would show his love for us in sending Christ to purchase us and give us eyes to see and even show more of his love as what? He takes us home one day. As, as, as Romans 8 would say, those he, he foreknew, he predestined. And those he predestined, he called. And those he called, he what? Justified. And those he justified, he would what? Glorified. That is in Christ is in glory now at his resurrection and sit at that right hand of the Father. One day we too will be in glory. We will not fall away, beloved, if we are of the Lord and he has given us the grace to truly see who Christ is. Let's pray. Father God, we're thankful that we're able to walk through your word, Lord. I pray your word was beneficial towards your people I pray that your people would be drawn closer to you and your word Father that they would have a hunger to read your word have a hunger to pray I pray even for our children Lord I pray our children would have a hunger to be in your word that even our, you would use the mouths of our children to remind us the gospel Lord that you would use the mouths of our children to remind us fathers to be reading the gospel to them that you would use the mouths of our wives, O oh Lord, to remind us husbands to be shepherding our family by your word. And Lord, give us the strength to do that as men, even after a long, hard day of work when our bodies are tired and weary and we just want to close our eyes, Lord, to help us to turn the TVs off and shepherd our children and shepherd our wives and pour the word out upon them, Lord, that they might grow in understanding and in their faith about who you are what you have done on the cross for us, Father. I pray, Lord, as we go out through our week and we, we come in contact by your sovereign will with people who might deny the truth of the gospel or do not fully understand the gospel, Lord, that you would give us the grace and the power and the humbleness and the willingness and the love to share the truth with them, Father. And through hearing that truth, Lord, they would be saved. Lord, I pray you be glorified, which we know you are. We ask this in Jesus' name.